Welcome to the Taylor and Jen podcast. Mornings with Taylor and Jen. So if you want to spot a Life 107.1 listener in the grocery store today, they're the one reaching to the bottom of the avocado pile and petting everything they pull out. Life 107.1. I mean, it was a pretty confusing slogan for me when I was a kid growing up on the East Coast, and everybody kept telling me that if you wanted to be in love, you had to be in Virginia. That's a weird, <laughs> weird qualifier. But it, it, that's how it was back then. And now I here I am in Iowa. And I'm like, you know, Iowans are very loving. I mean, yeah. they may have a very Iowa way of saying I love you, but it's still loving. So as we're getting ready for Valentine's Day, it's just a oh, few yes. weeks away. Uh-huh. We're just looking for some ideas of how to show love in a uniquely Iowan way. Well, anytime my husband drives by Pella, he picks up pastries for me. So <laughs> I feel like that's a good way of saying I love you. Absolutely. He really loves you. Yeah. I mean, but then a I lot. think I say I love you by sharing. So if I share with him, that's my way of saying I love you. That's the I love you too. But what does it mean when you don't share? <laughs> um, I don't know. <laughs> I think it's still implied. <laughs> Valentine's Day is coming up, mm-hmm. and I just don't understand. We just don't understand why Iowa is not considered a romantic state. I mean, everybody else can do flowers and chocolates, but we have some of our own unique ways of showing love. My husband just this morning, and he always does this for me, he backs my car out of the garage and leaves it running, especially in the winter, so it's nice and warm when I get in. Oh my goodness. That's that's I love you right there. That is total in Iowa, I love you. What a guy, what a guy. And how many times do you say to your kids, drive safe? Drive yeah. safe. What does that mean? Like, they're not going to if you don't tell them? Oh, <laughs> Mom, I was going to do 90 down 235, swerving from both lanes, but now I'm going to be responsible. You know what my kids says back to me he says i love you too mom oh he knows (laughs) mine just roll their eyes that's also i love you in teenager (laughs) is that what you say when they roll you're like oh they just told me they love me oh yeah well you have to tell yourself something the question is simple how do you say i love you in iowan watch for deer As they're on their way out the door. Not going to lie. We we could be leaving my father-in-law's house at midnight and we'd still hear watch for deer. And really, and really, what does that mean? What are those three words a substitute for? (laughs) Don't get hit. (laughs) Well, I was kind of going for I love you, but don't get hit is good, too. Those are three other words that are very, very good. (laughs) Watch for deer. Don't get hit. I love you. It's all synonyms here in Iowa. But that is, that is one very Iowa oh, way to say I love you is to say, hey, hey, watch for deer. Yeah. You know someone cares about you oh, when they're saying that. Wow. I mean. Fills my heart up. Why don't they make a Hallmark movie about that? Well, I, uh, spoiler alert, the anniversary card I bought for my wife just says watch for deer. <laughs> That's all it says. Oh, Taylor, you are just too much. But then when she opens it up, there's a hole in the back, so she sees her deer. Oh. I mean, I've always maintained Iowa's the best state, mm-hmm. but now we're finding out that Iowans, we have our very own love language. Yeah, Ted, how do you say I love you in Iowa? The color of your blouse matches my tractor. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're not going to call you Ted anymore. We're going to call you Romeo. Yeah, that'll, <laughs> that'll do it. There are ways to say I love you that aren't just I love you. 
I mean, there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. Um, and and here in Iowa, I think that we have our own unique way of telling each other that we're you are important to me. And so this is just a little public service with Valentine's Day a few weeks away. We're just kind of feeding your creativity of things to say besides I love you to let the person you love know that they're loved. My mom always tells us to play nice. Play nice. <laughs> and that means I love you. Yeah, so my daughter had it tattooed in my mom's handwriting on her wrist. Oh. Oh, that's adorable. So when did your mom yeah. say that? Like when you would go out the door or when you were yeah. fighting? When when did she say that? When we're leaving the house, she always says, play nice. Huh. I really love that. I do too. That's so cool. Thank you for yeah. sharing her with us. No problem. I was standing in the aisle at Aldi. Before a beautiful display of pineapples. Oh, yeah. You know, I love pineapple. Nothing like a fresh pineapple. I know. It's winter here in Iowa. And I just looked at these pineapples and I thought to myself, how nice would it be for this week at the end of my lunches just to have a few really nice Juicy bites of pineapple. It's cold outside, but here's a taste of the tropical Tropic. beach. Yes. yes. Okay. Yeah. Seriously, this is this is all. All of this flashes through my mind as I stand before these pineapples, and then I remembered that I had seen this article, and it says that there are scientific ways to choose produce. Did you say science? I said science. Science. Wow, there's scientific ways to choose produce. Yeah, well, I needed to employ it for the pineapple. And I looked around because there are people in Aldi. (laughs) It wasn't just me. But I'm like, I'm not going to waste my money on a bad Mm -hmm. pineapple. So I pick up a pineapple that's yellow on the bottom, Mm -hmm. more green on the top. I flip it upside down. And I gave it a big sniff. You're supposed to sniff the pineapple bottom? Sniff the pineapple bottom. Yes. A pineapple is one of the produce that scientifically you're supposed to sniff it. If it smells like pineapple, then it's ripe and ready for you to eat. Now, I could have also flipped it the other way and tried to pull out one of the green stalks. And if it came out easily, that would also have indicated that but it was But you ripe. went for the showy, turn it upside down and take a whiff. <laughs> I really, really just wanted to sniff it. We're Taylor and Jen doing very important science. Science! Specifically, science around fruit. We know that one of your New Year's resolutions was to eat better. And so that means fruit. And that means that we want to help you find... The best fruit out there. So Jen read an article on the internet about (laughs) scientifically backed ways to choose the freshest fruit possible. Yeah. So you can tell us your fruit selecting methods and Jen will tell you if you're following science or not. So cantaloupe. Cantaloupe. You go to the stem end and you poke your thumbnail in it and then you smell it. And if it smells like a ripe cantaloupe, it's ripe. You smell your thumbnail or the cantaloupe? The cantaloupe. The cantaloupe. Yeah. Well, Jen? Yes. That's science. Well, it's partly science. Okay. Also, with cantaloupe, the uh, principle of heft or how heavy it is applies, too. So with melons, you're supposed to find the one that's the heaviest. So a heavy, good-smelling cantaloupe. A heavy Heavy. cantaloupe that the stem, you're supposed to flip it over and smell the other end. So don't smell the stem end. Smell the other end. Okay. And get it heavy. 
Okie dokie. Now you know. <laughs> Cindy's like, whatever. I'm going to keep doing it the way that I've been doing been it all along because my cantaloupes have been just fine. Thank you very much. Does science smile upon you? <laughs> Jen's reading science on the internet. Everybody has to pick fruit, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, we're all doing these New Year's resolutions. We're eating better. So we're standing in the produce aisle and we're looking at fruit. How do you choose the best fruit? There's science to it. I have basically the same test no matter what the fruit is. I look at the color, which is tricky because I'm colorblind. But I, you know, <laughs> so that means it has to be really bold of a color for me to be able to tell. Oh. Like when bananas are like partially green or something, it's got to be really, really yellow for me to trust it. Oh my goodness. And then I, I'm a squeezer. <laughs> I'll squeeze an apple. I'll, I'll apple? squeeze an orange. Okay. You're so wrong on I'm wrong? so many levels. How could I be wrong, Jen? <laughs> I know what I'm doing. Well, here's the thing. There are various ways that they can make our fruit look ripe. Mm. So... When you're looking at, say, tomatoes, uh-huh. don't go by the color with a tomato. I know you're not going to like this. Do I have to smell it? You're Why am I smelling all these fruits? <laughs> with a tomato, you're supposed to pick it up and you're supposed to smell it. All right? It's supposed to smell like tomato. It's supposed to, okay. But also, you're supposed to squeeze it just a little bit. A little squeeze. A gentle squeeze. With the, with the tomato, there's supposed to be just a little bit of give, but and these are science words, not too much smush. Not too much smush. Well, that's, I mean, that's what I'm looking for in most of my fruit. I want a little bit of a, you know, except for apples. I want my apples to be rock hard. But everything else, a little bit of a give, not too much smush. Not smush. Which, you, by the way, is a scientific term. You want the right crisp to smush ratio. <laughs> you know the story of Zacchaeus, right? He was a wee little man and a wee little man was he. Thank you. <laughs> I, I was really worried that that was one of those songs that like only I sang, but I assumed oh, that everybody else did. Oh, no. I, oh, man, I can't even tell you how close I was to starting to sing it and then I was like, nah, no. He we climbed don't up do in the, the sycamore tree. tree yeah. The Lord he wanted to see. So I love that song. That is a story that I heard so many times growing up. It's, you know, it's one of the classic stories. This guy who's a tax collector and also really short hears that this guy Jesus is coming to town and he's so excited so he climbs up in a tree and Jesus says, hey, get down out of that tree. I'm coming over to your house and we're going to have dinner. And Zacchaeus just immediately like changes. Yeah. Right? Like he's like, I'm going to give back all the money that I've cheated people out of half of my wealth I'm going to give to the poor like it is an instantaneous change in his life wow here's the thing I never noticed from this story we, we talked about it on on Sunday in church and all of a sudden it struck me Zacchaeus doesn't really do anything at first like all he does is climb up in a tree he doesn't say hey I'm about to make a change I'm going to do this I'm going to do that Jesus just looks at him and says hey get down I'm going to your house for dinner Like, literally, Jesus doesn't wait for Zacchaeus to put himself together, to even promise to put himself together. He waits for eye contact. (laughs) And I think that's such a beautiful thing. Jesus doesn't wait for us to get ready for him to move into our lives. Sometimes he just says, hey, I'm going to come and sit at your dinner table. And then it's just up to you to let him. Do you think it's safe to say that most people, not all people, but most people don't love winter weather don't love extreme winter weather yeah not a lot of people enjoying it especially if you have to like walk out at it for longer than five seconds why do we brag about it then i mean most of us really don't like extreme cold most of us really don't like extreme gray or extreme temperatures don't love getting dumped 14 inches on you know don't love ice don't we don't love those things also usually people choose to brag about things that they 
have control over? Yeah. Like we we didn't do anything what? to make the weather cold. What? We just live here. Why do we brag about it then? I mean, this is a phenomenon. Oh, it's a competition. This has been happening. You know this. You have family that lives in Texas. I have yeah. family that lives on the East Coast. So I have a conversation with my sister, all right? And she's like, well, you know, we got three inches and it's 25 degrees. And I'm like, oh. And then I'm like, yeah, well, it's 20 below and we got 14 inches. It's almost like you slam that last card on the table and you're like, ha, gotcha. <laughs> you know? And she's like, well, uh, man, that's really bad. And then you feel like you've won something. Which you didn't <laughs> because your weather is worse. I'm sure it's some kind of coping mechanism. <laughs> and somebody smarter than me can figure it out. We have weather competitions. Literally, my cousin in Ohio just texted me to tell me what their temperature is right now to get in a fight with me over it. I know. Why do we brag about our extreme weather when we don't even enjoy it ourselves? And... We didn't do it. Do you have some thoughts about that? One, I wanted to shed some hope for you. It's going to be 20 degrees above zero today. Above zero? There's some hope for you. Praise the Lord, right? Praise, Praise the Lord, the Lord that it's going to be above zero? you got to take your small victories. Work with me here. Absolutely. <laughs> I think because we're suffering that we want people to have some empathy for us. That way, if we have a little empathy, <laughs> we feel it's a little more worth the suffering. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> if someone can feel bad for me, then it's okay. Okay, so that's one way of thinking about it. I've got your pity to keep me warm. <laughs> Picking fruit mm. is a scientific endeavor. There's an article that says scientifically backed ways to pick your fruit, so we're, we're yeah. assuming. Produce. You can put the scientific method on it. Uh, you know... <laughs> you come up with a hypothesis, then you make an experiment, and then a conclusion. I love to see people experimenting how to pick fruit in the fruit aisle. You bring your beakers in there. <laughs> So we just want to know, how do you pick your produce? And we'll tell you if your methods are scientifically backed. I think I might be a fruit fraud. <gasps> oh. Because I get over by the fruit section. I think if we videotaped that area, you would see all kinds of things. Because oh, yeah. I know that like some things you're supposed to knock on. Some things you're supposed to pluck. Like a pineapple, you're supposed mm-hmm. to pull out. But like an avocado. Yeah, how do you choose an avocado? Um, I go by when I think I'm going to be making the guacamole and how much give there is to when you, if it's a little too mushy, don't go there. If it's rock hard, you don't have time for a paper bag. So you need something in the middle. Okay, so there's something she knows that you're supposed to put it in a paper bag. Did you know that an avocado can't actually ripen on the tree? No, and quite frankly, I have brain space in there, but I'm not sure it's for avocados. Like, they've got to just show up and be good to go. (laughs) If I put it in a paper bag, there is a 50-50 chance I will forget that it's in the paper bag. You know you're going to be seeing avocados a lot in the store, especially in a few weeks. Oh, yeah. Because it's coming on time for... For the Super Bowl. Super Bowl, which is the, I believe, the number one avocado eating day of the year because everybody makes guacamole. Big old things of guac. I mean, the guacamole industry has definitely turned the Super Bowl into a guacamole eating party. Okay. Okay, so avocados. How do you choose an avocado scientifically? I, I give them a little squeeze, and you want the right right amount of give. This article says don't do that. Don't squeeze the avocados. No, because you're bruising it. Bruising the avocados. Stop bruising the avocados. I'm sorry, Taylor. avocados. I, I know. Number one, did you know an avocado cannot ripen on the tree? 
It simply can't. It has to fall off right. before it can ripen. Right. Interesting. Number two, they only reach peak ripeness for a very brief time. Oh, I've noticed that. <laughs> <laughs> Did you know that you can tell an avocado is ripe by brushing the, it's called a calyx? It's uh-huh. the little bit that looks like a teeny tiny stem. Uh-huh. If you brush that and it comes off easily, it's ripe. Interesting. So so you don't squeeze no. them, you pet them. No. <laughs> you just you... try to brush that calyx right there. And if, if it comes off e- easily, it's nice and ripe. If it doesn't come off, it's not ready yet. Now, here's a hot tip. Hot tip. Right? If you're reaching for some avocados, go to the ones that are at the bottom of the pile. Okay. All right? Because ethylene has had a better chance to build up. And that's what ripens the avocados. So if you want to spot a Life 107.1 listener in the grocery store today, they're the one reaching to the bottom of the avocado pile and petting everything they pull out. (laughs) All right, Jen, how do you choose your fruit? How I pick my fruit is I place an order and let someone else do it. (laughs) Oh, that... I don't like to go in the store. (laughs) You're the smartest one of all of us. Well done. I'm impressed. Taylor. Jen. It is really cold out there. It's pretty cold. I think I think we need to do something to warm up a little bit. Taylor, do something to warm us up a little bit. How about this? <gasps> oh! Alert. Oh, Tissue no. Alert. Tissue alert. Tissue okay. alert. So you're, you've heard it. It's the tissue alert. Because it's time to tell you another story of someone who is getting a free furnace thanks to Warm Your Heart with our friends, Service Legends. Patricia told us about someone she nominated to get that free furnace. She's a former student of mine. I was an at-risk teacher, and she recently had several small strokes. Mm. She's currently at home and doing okay, but it's not healing yet. Mm. So we keep praying for that. And uh, her husband is is the only one that's working right now, and they have three kiddos? That's correct. They're all in elementary school. Mm. Mm. Candace must have been a really special student of yours for you to do this. She certainly is. (laughs) She just stayed in my mind. Yeah, she's a forever student. Aww. So tell us what's going on with the furnace. It wasn't working, and the husband replaced a part, and it overheats. It'll warm the house, and then it'll stop. Hmm. The service person said you can keep it going by replacing parts and trying to keep it going, but he did not recommend that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we've got Brian Leach here from Service Legends. Brian, that doesn't sound like a good situation. No. When that thing's overheating, it's putting strain on that heat exchanger, and that's what protects the carbon monoxide from getting in the home. So, oh, yeah. I mean, there could be an entirely additional health scenario that could come into play here. So we want to get that furnace granted and get them taken care oh, of. Oh, wow. So. Thank you. Oh, you're welcome. Now, here's the thing. You are on the hook for one thing, and that's giving Candace a call and letting her know that she's going to be hearing about how she's getting a free furnace. Can you handle that? Oh, wow. I can handle that. Okay. <laughs> I just can't tell you how much I'm thankful for this. We're thankful for you. Yeah, Candace is very blessed to have you in her life. Okay, thank you. Jen, I'm sorry, you don't get to be part of this one. What? This this was a study done of people 30 years and older. 30 years and older. Yeah. So, you know, at 29 and a half, maybe in six months, you can be part of this conversation. Oh, in six months, I'll still be 29 and a half. It's weird how that works. (laughs) But there were a bunch of researchers who did some science. Science! 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 About 
How many things people hold on to from their childhood? Like you have those little nostalgic things like in the baby box. physical things? Actual physical things oh, okay. from your childhood. All right. They found the average adult over 30 years has held on to three things from their childhood. Only three? I think three's a lot. You do? I'm trying to think of things from my childhood that I, I could like go in my house and grab right now. And I can't... Like baby blanket, probably still at my parents. It doesn't like, have to be like toddlerhood. It could be, you know, anything from 17 and under. So anything, I still can't think of anything. Nothing? You don't I have don't know. any. What about that Rubik's Cube that's on your, um, on your shelf? I got that recently. <laughs> you know what? I can think of one thing. Oh, oh, oh. My gym shorts. Oh, my goodness. Those gym shorts are I still, still have them. around. Listen, now that the elastic's gone, it's one size fits all. We have been talking about these gym shorts. There's no holes like in them. five years. They're the most comfortable gym shorts of all time. Why would I get rid of them? Okay, tell us if science is right about you. Because science says adults over 30 have at least three things from their childhood that they still have in their homes. I have a Cabbage Patch doll. (gasps) Very nice. I have a rocking chair that is 49 years old, same age as I am. Oh, that's cool. And then I also have all of my hair from when I was eight years old. I'm sorry. What? Just from when you were eight years old? Yeah, it was all the way to my waist. I still have it in a book that my dad kept all these years. (laughs) What? My dad decided to keep it, and I didn't know he had it. Well, he passed away almost, it'll be five years this year, and I found it in one of his books that he had, and I was like, oh, there's my hair! It was all of it. I kind of can't believe that the only thing that you have of sentimental value from your early childhood is a pair of gym shorts. I really can't believe that. We, we've been through a lot no. together over the years. I can't believe that. Not like there's no books. No, none of your children. No. no children's books. Like I actually went out and bought children's books that I enjoyed as a child, but not like the actual ones that we read because we got them all from the library. No toys. No nothing. No, didn't hang on to any toys. So science does not apply to you. Usually that's the case. <laughs> but science does apply to Deb. I am a little farm girl from way back, and I had a special. My very first 4-H project, her name was Jody, and she was a Holstein cow, Holstein heifer, and I had a friend of mine, his wife, crocheted a little bell that rang, and it was a Christmas card bell for Jody. Oh my goodness, that's and adorable. I still have that. I'm 55 now. I probably got that bell when I was like nine. I thought you were going to tell me that you still had Jody. <laughs> no. Jody lived a good long time. Good. She was born in 1975, and she was a part of my life for a good many years. And you still have the little crocheted bell from her. I do. I do. What's the sentimental thing that you've kept from your childhood? It is the bicycle that I learned how to ride on. Like, I literally had training wheels uh, on this bike. You still wonderful. have it. Back in the day, you didn't get these little two-inch tire bikes with training wheels on them like you have now. You went from a little tricycle to a pretty decent-sized <laughs> tire, and it was kind of a long ways to fall. Yeah, but I told everybody about this bike. I wanted a gold Schwinn Stingray with a silver banana seat. Oh, wow! Very clear and very consistent. That's what I wanted. That's what I got. 
I maintained it. I've seen my own kids write it when they were little, and now I'm seeing my grandkids write it when they come over and visit me at my house. And I love it. It's a classic now. It's actually worth a little money. I think that is amazing. Yeah, it's cool. The Taylor and Jen Podcast is a product of Northwestern Media, a ministry of the University of Northwestern St. Paul. You can hear more from Taylor and Jen weekday mornings online at life1071.com or on the life one oh seven point one one app.